Well, good morning, everyone. Yes, good morning and welcome. And as you are coming in, let me make this announcement first. Um, if you have not gotten a bulletin, please do get one, okay? The reason being is that the new form that you will need for our congregational meeting is in that bulletin where we're nominating church officers. But more on that in a few minutes, but please do make sure you have a bulletin. Now, uh, I'd like to welcome all of you to Old Providence, whether you are a new visitor, whether you've been here your whole life, whether you are joining us online, we are simply delighted that the Lord has given us this time together. Now, I'm going to be very quick here because we have some business to attend to this morning. My only major announcement, apart from youth group and little lambs, tonight at 530 here at the church. Youth group is in the basement. Little lambs is next door in Providence Hall tonight at 530. My only major announcement is be aware of your bulletin, okay? It's fall time, right? That means things are cranking up. Lots of different things are going on, so please be aware of that. But again, I welcome you. Uh, if you're a visitor especially, I'll be out into the portico after the service, and I would love to meet you. We're delighted that the Lord has brought you today. Now, again, welcome. I, I will turn things over to Finley right now for our very brief congregational meeting. I'll ask Elder Frank Hansen to open the congregational meeting of prayer. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We ask for wisdom as the congregation puts forth names for the session to consider for nomination. And um, any other discussion, Lord, we pray that you would be with us, watch over us, and guide us. In Christ's name, amen. The first stated order of business today is to collect nomination forms for the Office of Ruling Elders and for Deacons. As Reverend Malfer said, uh, the nomination forms were in the bulletin last week. The nomination forms are in there again today with some revisions. Some names that were inadvertently left off the list now appear on the list that you received in the bulletin today. Besides those names, there's also a couple that were still inadvertently left off, so I will give you those. On the elder list, uh, Stuart Eckert's name was left off. And on the deacon's list, the revised list included Warren Bradley, Todd Smith, Ricky Stockdale, but it omitted Brandy Ritchie and Tyler Hagen. So if that's confusing, raise your hand and we'll try to confuse you more. <laughs> These are nomination forms, as you know, and the folks that are nominated, the committee of elders will look at the list and consider the proper election procedures. Does anyone need a form? Anyone need a nomination form? Please raise your hand and the tellers will bring you one. Balcony, anybody? Everybody's okay? Well, if you'll complete the forms, write in any names that you feel should be there, and pass it to the aisles and tellers.
Are there other nomination forms to be picked up? No, vote will come. I don't remember the dates. The vote for elders and deacons are a number of weeks away. It will not be next week. Other forms. Yeah, I believe most I believe all the forms have been picked up. The second stated order of business this morning is a report concerning security measures here at the church. And I'll call on Elder Glenn Hanger to give us that report. Okay, I was asked to just give everybody just a little thumbnail sketch, and that's what we'll keep it at. I will say for a start, if you've got questions about anything, uh, see me or the elders or some of the folks that were on the security committee. I'll give you those names in a second after the service or any time this week. Call me if we meet, whatever, if you've got any concerns or any questions or, or any suggestions or comments. Um, security is nothing new. Uh, we, we're dealing with a facility here. We've been blessed by God. It's been unlocked for 230 years or so, 240 years since 1742. And I, I get that. Um, but we also realized through the course of most recent events that uh, we needed to think about the welfare of the folks that attend here. Not so much the property, the people. And that, that concern really focused some years ago on the preschool, our secretary, the preacher. You know, if you come in here during the day, sometimes you'll find just Stephanie here by herself. Um, and, and we put some things in place. And as most recent events uh, unfolded, Uvalde was one of them, uh, we realized maybe we need to, to look a little harder at how can we keep people safe. So this wasn't about, well, God's, God can't keep us safe, so we'll take it upon ourselves to do it. Uh, we all know better than that. We know that only God keeps us safe. Um, so our, our thought process through all this was, what can we do to not impede the obligation we have to come here and worship our God? Uh, we all know uh, airport security is a real pain. We don't want that. We don't want to, uh, we, we've heard, we've coined the phrase, uh, locks are for honest people only. Well, there's some truth to that, because if I come to this church to do something during the day and the door's locked, I'm going to get back in my car and go back home. If a bad guy comes, he's going to knock the window out, come on in, or bust through the door. So I get that. So our focus was to protect the kids that are here, preschool, uh, Amanda's co-op, 
And that was the direction we moved. So we formed at the direction of the uh, at the direction of the session. We formed a committee, a security committee. I was asked to serve as chairman. The folks on that committee are Terry Gordon, John Lunsford, Jason Barker, Patrick Rivard, Johnny Earhart, and Matt Benson. And we've been working since July 5th. And I figured the best way to figure out if we had problems was to get somebody from the outside to come and look. So we, we got a, a threat assessment group together, and that consisted of Derek Omrod, who's superintendent of the Rock Ridge Regional Jail, Don Moran, who's his major, assistant superintendent. Don, when he was at the sheriff's office with me, was on the SWAT team. He was a sniper. Um, I had Al Wilkerson, a neighbor of mine, who's a retired MP of the United States Air Force, to give up a different perspective. I had Sergeant George Cox, who's with Albemarle County Police Department. He's logistics the commander. He was on the SWAT team when he was with me at the sheriff's office. And I had Tony Heffel, who's lead firearms instructor for Augusta County. He's now a major at Middle River Regional Jail. They came, met with the committee, um, did an assessment of our facility, and gave us the, the, uh, the Fort Knox version of what security could look like. We took that and tried to approach it from a, from a realistic view of if we go too far this way, we really hinder worship in a lot of ways. And if we go too far this way, we don't provide any security at all. Our focus has been to put in some locks downstairs on the nursery door, the uh, children's church door, and the co-op door. And we wanted to do some different things with the elevator and the door of the stairway so we could keep the full basement safe. As it turns out, it was too cost, cost prohibitive to do that with the elevator. So we're moving towards some other things. Our notion all along has been, if we want to keep folks safe, we keep the threat outside. So to that end, the, the same monitor that we've got in the office to see the cameras that are outside we're going to have in the balcony. So if someone's sitting up here in the balcony, for example, where Matt says, if if I pull up late, he looks at the camera and says, well, Glenn's late again for church, and I just come on in. If somebody else pulls up, goes to the back of their car, pops the trunk, gets a backpack out, kids this way that we don't rec recognize, we're probably going to send a little entourage outside to confront that issue before it ever gets in there. And again, that's our goal. Um, we don't want people who come to this church during the day to be hindered in being able to get in and spend time in here or just to see the facility or look at the history room or, or meet with Finley or, or whatever the case is. So don't, don't think that we're headed towards that Fort Knox. We're not going to have a, a, a screener set up where you've got to walk through to make sure you don't have any weapons on. Uh, we're not going to have guns and attack dogs. So if you've got a question, ask. If you've got apprehension about where we're headed, ask. But we are in no way, shape, or form taking God out of this scenario. Um, we, when we get sick, we consult doctors. But what's the first thing that normally happens when we go consult that doctor? Uh, somebody calls Debbie Hanger, and Debbie Hanger puts a message out asking for prayers to a doctor, wisdom, his blessing. This is no different. 
as we go about this security thing, as we come in here each Sunday and worship and, and, and in, in the hopes that we're saved, that's our prayer. God, keep us safe while we're here. And, and we're not trying to take him out of that in any way, shape, or form, nor, nor will we if we want to. Um, so that's where we're at. Again, I won't take up Patrick's time or any, any more of our service time with answering questions, but I will answer any questions or concerns you have if you get a hold of me, anybody that I named on the committee, or any of the elders, or for that matter, the deacons are just as much in the loop as, as we are, because we've met jointly a couple times on that, and uh, John Lunsford is pretty much aware of everything that, that I know. Thank you. Appreciate it, Bill. We'll now turn the worship service over to Reverend Malcolm. Thank you very much, Glenn and Finley, and, and for everyone uh, for, for your patience as we go through these business matters. Again, be aware of the bulletin. They will have dates as far as when elections will come, when congregational meetings will be taking place. Now, we have come to worship, so let's do that. But I will recognize someone that is here this morning before we get started with our worship service. Uh, I learned to preach in a very interesting uh, little church, and so as a result, with trains going by and other things happening, I don't notice a lot of the things that take place in the room. So I didn't notice that the Reverend Dr. Robbie Bell is with us this morning. Uh, Robbie's father, Jim Bell, of course, was pastor here. What years was he pastor here? 65 to 82. 65 to 82, and then, of course, went to U.S., but but Robbie is the pastor at, um, uh, oh, goodness, where is Robbie? Uh, Young Memorial, ARP. In, uh, oh, well, congratulations on your retirement then. But not only is Dr. Bell an ARP minister, Dr. Bell was one of my professors in seminary. So forget about the idea of pastors not being nervous before they speak. <laughs> and his father is the great beloved Jim Bell, my goodness. But nevertheless, we welcome Robbie, and I presume your wife as well, which I have not met. But I welcome you both. So now... We are here to worship, so let us worship the Lord together. Let's prepare our hearts as God leads us in the prayer. that tune it is from the bible song i will joy and again i hope you are here to take joy in the lord this morning our call to worship comes from psalm 103 it says bless the lord O my soul and all that is within me bless his holy name my soul bless the lord and do not forget all his benefits he forgives all your iniquity he heals all your diseases he redeems your life from the pit he crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with good things. Your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executes acts of righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. 
He revealed his ways to Moses, his deeds to all the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. He will not always accuse or be angry forever. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. For as high as heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we were framed. He remembers that we are dust. My friends, this is the Lord that we have come to worship, who in all of his splendor and might and majesty rules on high, but who knows us and loves us, treating us tenderly with love and with grace. And what greater cause and call for worship could there be than this. Let's now go to the Lord in prayer, after which we'll pray the Lord's Prayer together and confess the Apostles' Creed. But let's go to Him now. Our God and our Father, what a blessing it is to be here together right now, even at the start of this worship service, to witness the work of the church, how you have prepared men for service, how you have worked in their hearts and brought them to this point in their lives. We pray that as we are just now at the start of this process, that we would elect the men that you desire. And that, Father, you would empower them to do your work. But now, as we continue in this time of worship, as we go to your word, as we lift up songs of praise, as we pray, Father, please guide us. By your Holy Spirit, work in our hearts. Turn the lights on so that we can see. And, Father, we know it's in your light that we see light. So in all of these things, let us see Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for guiding us in this time and for calling us to this place. And we pray it in Christ's name, yet we also pray as he taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now as we say the Apostles' Creed together, let me ask you, Christian, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen indeed. Now let's stand together as we take our hymn. The words are on the screen. But as we sing hymn number 132, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Please stand with me as we sing together. <laughs> 
may be seated. And now I'll ask children to come on down to the children's center. <laughs> Will we have enough room this morning? I don't know if we're going to. Right. Uh, I don't know. You're gonna have to scooch in together, Gabe. Scoot over, There we go. Scooch in like you like each other. There we go. Sisters have to sit close by each other, and brothers and sisters. My goodness. Well, it's so good to see all of you this morning. How's everybody doing? Good. That's good. You have a good week this past week. Yes, some of you are starting back with homeschool co-op tomorrow. That's exciting. And others of you have been in school, and that is great, too. Now, I'm excited to be with you all this morning because we're going to talk about the most important thing ever. Yes, you can see the look on Olivia's face right now. It's, wow, what's the most important thing ever? The most important thing ever is knowing Jesus. Now, Y'all that have been here, you know, for the last several weeks, we've been talking about how to know Jesus. Somebody asked me the best question ever. They said, how do I know Jesus? You talk about it all the time. What does it mean to know Jesus? And so we started talking about different ways that we know Jesus. We talked about prayer, right? And how sometimes it's hard to know what to pray, but we can use our hands, right? Our fingers to know those things that we can pray for. But there's another way to know the Lord. There's lots of different ways. And we're going to talk about those. But one of the most important ways, and ultimately the way to know the Lord, is to trust the Lord. Right? There's some very important verses that talk about this, okay? And I'm going to read them to you. They come from Proverbs chapter 3. It says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Now, Here's the question. How does trusting the Lord help us know him? Well, the answer is, is that when you trust Jesus, when you trust him, when he says he'll provide for you, when he says that he'll keep you safe, when he says that he'll be there for you, and if you trust that he died on the cross to forgive you for your sins, when you do all of that, you see so many things. You see that the Bible's 100% true. You see that the more that you trust Jesus, the more you see how much he loves you through doing all those things that he promised he'd do in the Bible. But y'all, we got a problem with trusting Jesus and with knowing him. And I say we because I have this problem too. Even though we may know that we should trust Jesus, lots of times we face something called temptation. And that's a big word, isn't it? Temptation. What is temptation? Well, temptation... It's what we face when we know what we should do. We know the right thing to do, but we don't want to do it, right? We want to do what we want instead. There's lots of examples of this, like obeying your parents. Sometimes I'm sure that you don't want to obey your parents. They tell you to do something, to clean up your room, to pick up your toys, that kind of thing. We're so good at making excuses. That's why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tell us to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and to lean not on our own understanding. In other words, we shouldn't trust what we want to do all the time. Why, if our parents tell us to do something, we may come up with an excuse for not doing it, but it doesn't make it right. When somebody might be mean to us or unkind to us, we might be tempted to be 
mean or unkind back to them. But the Bible tells us we should love other people. That's another way we can make excuses for doing the wrong things. But y'all, what the Bible tells us to do, first and foremost, is to trust in what the Lord tells us, not necessarily what we feel like doing. Because y'all, just because you feel like doing something doesn't mean you should. God tells us in his word what we should do to follow him. Okay? Now, the most wonderful thing about Jesus is that even though we know we should trust in him and follow him and that we shouldn't sin, Jesus came so that we could be forgiven of our sins. He died on the cross to pay for our sins. So the best way to trust him, and we'll talk about this more next week, but the best way to trust Jesus is by asking him to forgive you and by believing that he died on the cross for you. Okay, let me pray that you will trust him. Our Father, I thank you for these children. I thank you for your word that is so clear. It tells us not to do the thing that we want to do, but instead to trust you to do what you tell us to do. As a result, to do those things like obeying our parents and, and loving other people, we thank you that those things come from you. And you've given us your word because you love us. I pray for these children that they would trust you they would know you that when they're scared when they're frightened when they're hurt when they're angry that they would always turn to you because you are trustworthy and i pray now that you would go with them and i pray it in christ's name Now, as we continue in our worship service, it's time for us to go to the Lord in prayer first silently, and then I will lead us in the pastoral prayer. Let's go to him now. Eternal God and Heavenly Father, as we come to this moment in our service where we turn our hearts and our minds to you yet again in prayer, we pray that you would guide us. In this very brief time of silent prayer, I don't know what was lifted before you. I don't know those things that everyone is facing this morning. I don't know the challenges that are present, but I know that you do. As we have just heard the sound of children going down the hall, and as we consider what the proverb says about trusting in you with all of our hearts and leaning not on our own understanding, we, we come confessing that this is not just a message for children at the time of their youth to remember later in life. It's a message for us right now, for we are still very good at coming up with excuses for not trusting you, coming up with reasons to in fact lean on our own understanding and do our own thing. Yet, Father, as we read already from your word, you remove our transgressions from us as far as east is from west. By the blood of Jesus Christ, we are cleansed and made whole. We are so grateful for your love and for your forgiveness. For the fact that you are active and present in the world around us, yes, right here now in our lives your word tells us in so many places that nothing happens outside of your vision outside of your care instead you know you see and you 
come to our aid again and again. So Father, before even bringing our request, we ask that you would give us grateful hearts, that we would indeed trust in you and lean not on our own understanding and give us the good sense to open our eyes and see how you're working. As we think about the troubles that this congregation faces, we have know that there are many that are facing medical difficulties. We ask that you would be with them, that you would restore them to good health and bring them back to us. Yet, Father, we know that we are not limited to medical needs. There are many that are grieving in our midst, mourning the loss of loved ones. Some of those losses have been recent. Some of them not so recent. Yet, Father, the pain of death and losing loved ones is still very real. We ask that you would bring comfort and mercy. For those that are struggling in other ways, perhaps it's spiritual. We pray that your Holy Spirit would work, drawing folks to yourself. Or if it's emotional, we pray that you would give encouragement and if necessary, in your mercy, give correction. And yet, Father, I still know that there are things that, that I don't even know about, that only you know about. Things that we face that we can't even articulate, but you know. Again, we are grateful for this and we pray that you would be at work in our lives and not only us but in your church universal. We confess that we believe in the holy Christian churches. Those brothers and sisters in Christ were united to around the world. Many of them are in harm's way, Father, so please protect them. Yet all of us have the common task, the common privilege of being your representatives. So we ask that you would work in us and through us and all around us so that your kingdom would grow and grow. And as a result, as the world around us faces so many difficulties, so many of them are consequences, but other difficulties. We pray that as a result of your work in our midst, that so many would come to know you. We know that your word says the harvest is plentiful. So Father, please send us out as workers to reap this wonderful harvest for your kingdom and for its sake. In short, Father, help us to be about your business as we seek your face. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.
Thank you very much, choir. Indeed, what an appropriate uh, anthem, especially given our sermon series as we are going through the names of God, the names of God the Son, especially and in our mini-series on the seven I Am statements of Jesus Christ. Those statements that tell us so much about who Jesus is, what he has done, and what he will yet do. Those statements that are fundamental to our understanding of who Jesus of Nazareth is in God's word, yes, but who is the Christ, who is our Lord and Savior, our brother and our King, the lover of our souls. Those, those statements full of so many wonderful promises about what Jesus can do in your life right here, right now. But we need to be careful, very careful, because it's that last thing that we sometimes miss. We can be so focused on the long run, on the big picture, as it were. We can be so wrapped up around the theoretical and the hypothetical that we can miss what Jesus is doing, again, right here, right now, in this life, for you, for us. Our passage today is a wonderful reflection of this. And the I am statement that we come to today wonderfully illustrates Christ's work for us in the future, yes, but what he's doing right now. And we find this next I am statement, you guessed it, in the gospel according to John. So go ahead and turn there with me, John chapter 11. Now, as you're turning to John 11, if you recall, last week we took a break from Jesus uh, in John with the I am statements in order to focus on rally day and, and Christian education. But two weeks ago, we found ourselves in John chapter 10 with Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. And we talked about what it means that Jesus is the shepherd of God's flock. We talked about what it means to function as one of the sheep in God's flock. Now, that was chapter 10 at the start and in the middle of the chapter. If you were to keep going in chapter 10, which we're not going to read today, um, you would find details of a renewed effort on the Pharisees' part to not only shut Jesus up, they don't want to just stop Jesus anymore. They want to kill him. And they make an earnest effort to do so. And yet, Jesus keeps on going. He did leave Judea at that point, however. He did cross the Jordan. And to quote chapter 10, at the end there, many believed in him there. All right, so he's crossed the Jordan. He's outside of Jerusalem. Many people are believing. And where we find Jesus in our chapter today, chapter 11, is with Jesus simply continuing on his earthly ministry. Again, he's outside of Judea, um, but he's going around, he's preaching, he's teaching, he's offering signs. But where we come to in 11 is an interlude of sorts, where something happens and that it's so personal to Jesus that it changes the course of his ministry. Let's read our text and find out what it is. Our text is a rather long one, so I'm not going to be reading all of it up front. Instead, we will read a large portion and then we will read as we go along. But we're going to start in verse 1 of John chapter 11. But before we read anything, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Our God and our Father, what a blessing it is again to have this time, to have your word, <clears throat> to have your spirit, which illuminates your word for us. Oh, Father, would you do that now? Would you guide us in this time as we go to your word that we would learn, yes, that we would gather the information that is here that testifies to your son's greatness, but also, Father, guide us by your spirit so that we would then know how your word applies to us. 
That this time would not be about simply gaining knowledge that certainly it wouldn't be about checking off a box or anything like that. But instead, we pray that you would transform us. That you would work in our hearts and in our minds so that we would again see Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. So, John chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. It says, Now a man was sick, Lazarus, from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair, and it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sister sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. Rabbi, the disciples told him, just now the Jews tried to stone you, and you're going there again? Aren't there 12 hours in a day? Jesus answered. If anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks during the night, he does stumble because the light is not in him. He said this, and then he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. Then the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will get well. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus then told them plainly, Lazarus has died. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. Then Thomas, called twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too, so that we may die with him. And we'll stop reading right there. May God bless the reading of his holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Amen and amen. All right, so before we read, I, I talked about this interlude that's taking place in Jesus' ministry that causes him to change course, and that affects him personally. Put simply, we, we just read it. Someone Jesus dearly loves is sick, and in fact is on the verge of death. Now, we don't have time to get into all of these characters and who they were, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus that are named here, but we are given a little bit of a descriptor here from the passage. We just read that Mary is the one, Mary of Bethany, who came and anointed Jesus' feet with perfume and, and, and washed his feet there, this beautiful scene of devotion. Now, our passage only says that, right? It doesn't go in depth into that encounter with Mary, but I'm just going to comment on this to show you the kind of relationship that's present here. Um, even today, what Mary did for Jesus seems like unbelievable devotion. Yet we can't begin to, grab the, the, to, to grasp the significance of a thing like this 2,000 years ago in Judea. You know, realize that a woman's hair was her entire glory. That's why to this day in that part of the world, many women keep their hair covered. And it's for their husband's eyes only. Yet she washed Jesus' feet with her hair. With her glory, as it were. And not only that, this perfume that she used, it was of such immense value that it was most likely not just perfume that she possessed here. That, you know, this would have been seen and many times was used as a woman's dowry. As her dowry in order to, to, to form a marriage contract. 
And they would have held on to this, saving it for their marriage, saving it for their future. So again, that, that's the relationship that we see going on here. Mary of Bethany, who is named, she used her glory to wash Jesus' feet. She poured her entire future out for him. And Lazarus was one of Jesus' beloved friends. That's why they refer to him as the one you love. And they don't have to get more specific. We don't know the dynamics of this relationship, y'all. We, we don't understand how Jesus and Lazarus became so close. We just know that they are. And he is with Martha as well. Now, again, y'all, friendship is of vast importance. The sermon is not on this. I've just got to comment. Friendship is of vast importance. A good friend of mine is here this morning. He's one of the guys I went on my sailing trip with last year. I've known him since 1985, and we still get together, right? It's an incredibly rare thing because a lot of times friendships don't last. Ours has, and I'm so grateful for my friend who's, who's more of a, a brother than a friend. But, but nevertheless, y'all, I'm just a person. This is Jesus. This is the man of sorrows. This is the one who said foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has not a place to lay his head. This is someone very close to our Lord. So close again, in fact, that they simply said to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. And as we read in verse four, when Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness will not end in death, but it's for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified to it. And the reason I mention that here again is because this is the start of something curious in our passage. Yes, it's curious indeed. Jesus' first response is that this sickness, even though it's the one that he dearly loves, the sickness is not going to end in death, but it will result in God's glory and in his glory. But even more curious, we find this interesting verse that instead of immediately going to Lazarus, in verse 6, we find out that Jesus stayed for two more days. Now, I say this is curious because Jesus starts by saying this isn't going to end in death. But though we know from verse 5 and everything else in the passage that, that Jesus deeply loves these people and yet he stays. He stays for two more days. And it makes you want to ask, why didn't he go immediately? If he loves them so much, why didn't he respond as soon as he heard what was going on? I mean, Jesus loves them. If he loved them, he wouldn't make them wait. Well, first off, be careful that you're not putting a little bit of yourself into the passage there because isn't that easy for us to conclude? Yeah, that's one of the things I warn about in, in, in marriage counseling, right? That, that, listen, you need to stay away from the phrase, if he loved me, he would fill in the blank, or if she loved me, she would fill in the blank. Y'all, we're really good at doing that. Even better at doing that with the Lord. Where is God? If he loved me, he wouldn't make me go through fill in the blank. He wouldn't make me wait for fill in the blank. Doesn't his word say he'll provide all of these things? And yet this over here? Y'all don't read too much into Jesus waiting two days. It was the Lord's timing and again he said what was going to happen. That what was taking place was for the glory of God. The sickness will not end in death. And I know you may be thinking, well wait a second we know that Lazarus died so how can Jesus, is Jesus lying here? No. He said this is not going to end in death. Not that death would never enter into the equation. Plus, there's another dynamic at work here. It doesn't scare or dissuade Jesus, but Jesus, again, does face the reality that there's a lot of people in Judea that are out to get him. We know from our text, Bethany is only two miles from Jerusalem. 
Okay? And we know that they're trying to kill him. That's why his disciples responded in verse 8 by saying, Rabbi, just now the Jews tried to stone you, and you're going back there again. It doesn't say that they said to Jesus, are you crazy? But clearly that's the tone here. But it's immediately after that that Jesus makes this cryptic statement in verses 9 and 10 about Aren't there 12 hours in a day? Jesus answered, if anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. Now we know from our series that Jesus has already said, I am the light of the world. So Jesus is referencing that. If anyone walks during the night, he does stumble because the light is not in him. Jesus makes this somewhat cryptic statement. But then after that, we find the response from the disciples, just so we know what we're dealing with. Verse 16, then Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too, so that we may die with him. Again, very curious stuff going on here. Now, did Thomas say this about going to die with Lazarus in a sarcastic sense? Did, did he say this out of fear? Because he knew that they were laying in wait for Jesus? Did he say it because he felt like he was on a fool's errand following Jesus, who must have gone out of his mind going to Judea thinking he could do something for a dead man? We don't know. We don't know. But no matter which it is, there is a tinge of despair in Thomas's voice because he's the spokesman for all those who thought death was the final verdict. He's the mouthpiece for those who would conclude that there was nothing that Jesus could possibly do. He's a spokesman for those who forgot that Jesus said that everything that was happening was taking place for God's glory and so that he would be glorified. But y'all, we need to be careful here because we shouldn't be too hard on the disciples. We shouldn't be too tough on Thomas because how often are we tempted to conclude much the same? How often are we tempted to write off a situation or a person thinking they are too this or too that, too far gone, too selfish, too stubborn, too hateful, too whatever. <laughs> How often are we tempted to determine that nothing is ever going to change in our life, in our relationships, in our fill-in-the-blank? How often are we tempted to assume the worst? And let's get right down to it. How often do we act without faith? As Thomas here was acting without faith. <laughs> Getting back to those curious words of Christ in verses 9 and 10 about walking in the light of day and being influenced by darkness. How often are we influenced by the world? You know, if you belong to Jesus Christ, you are in the light. But boy, does the darkness have its pull, its temptations. Satan wants you to operate, not in light of the clear teachings of the word and the promises of God, he wants you to forget all of those and he wants you to live in fear, to live in hate, to live in resentfulness and regret. He wants you to hold grudges. He wants you to not make peace because you deserve what you think you deserve. That's what Satan wants you to conclude. Thomas said what he said about going and dying too, right after Jesus said in verse 15, I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. Thomas said this in verse 16 as if he didn't even hear the Lord. But again, we shouldn't be so hard on Thomas because how often do we not hear the word? Because of our conclusions. Because of our bias. Thomas was so wrapped up in the fear 
perhaps of being pursued by the Pharisees, so wrapped up in the danger of the situation, the worry of the situation, to listen to the Lord. And we can do the same thing. Yeah, praise be to God that Jesus knows us. That God remembers how we were framed, as I read from Psalm 103 in our call to worship this morning. And praise be to God that Jesus was on a mission. Why? And what would Jesus do in this situation? What could he do? Look at verse 17. That's where we are going to pick up. Verse 17 of John chapter 11. It says, when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. Now, pause for a moment. What we just read is crucial. Not only is Lazarus dead, he's been dead for four days. He's been in the tomb for four days at this point, y'all. And this was a time that embalming was only for the ultra-wealthy. Ultra I can't speak. The ultra-wealthy wasn't really allowed in the Jewish world anyway. Preparing a body for burial meant loading it down with spices and fragrances for the pragmatic purpose of, of, of keeping the smell down, okay? Lazarus had been dead for four days at this point. Um, there's also speculation here about a belief that, that, that spread around concerning a person's spirit remaining close to their body for three days and that time had passed. That's not terribly important. Was that at work? Eh, doesn't really matter if it is. What is important, y'all, is that Lazarus at this point is dead, dead, okay? Not just mostly dead, he is dead with a capital D. If you read down to verse 39, when Jesus tells him to take the stone away, you find out that Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there is already a stench because he has been dead for four days. This is the Christian Standard Bible. I love this translation. I really like the King James. You know what it says? Lord, he stinketh. Okay? That's what was going on. This was a dire situation. What could Jesus possibly do? Well, let's go back to where we left off in verse 20 and follow. It says this. It says, as soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. <laughs> Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. All right. Pause again there for a moment. Jesus gets there. The curious continues because interestingly enough, you'll notice that it's Martha that comes out to greet Jesus. But Mary is seated in the house how the tables are turned, right? In Luke 10, we can read about Jesus dining with Mary and Martha. Martha's the one that's attending to the things in the house, right? She doesn't go to Jesus. She gets upset because Mary is enamored with Jesus. Well, the tables have turned because now it's Martha who has run out to meet Jesus. And what we find from her is just beautiful. This beautiful confession in verse 21 by saying, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And she follows it up by saying, yet even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Do you see the sharp contrast here? You know, before reading this, we just left Thomas, who said, well, why don't we just go and die with him? But yet here we have Martha. Thomas thought it was all over. Yet Martha, she knows. She knows Jesus and she believes. But that's also when she starts getting really spiritual. And she shows us something that we need to be careful about here. I alluded to this at the start of the sermon. 
Look at verse 23. This is Jesus' response. He says, your brother will rise again, Jesus told him. And this is where Martha starts to get really spiritual. Now, she's not wrong, but she does lose sight of what the Lord can do right then, right there in that moment. Verse 24, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, again, we've got to be careful here. Stop right there. Need to be careful. I'm not trying to discredit Martha in any way. She is absolutely right in what she says. And it should be noted that while Jesus is dealing with these knucklehead disciples that are saying, well, why don't we just go die with him? She's the one that not only believes that Jesus can work, she knows that Jesus will rise those who have trusted in him, will, will raise those that have trusted with him at the last day. So she's absolutely right. Side note. This ought to do away with any some such nonsense about Jesus just being a teacher or a prophet or anything like that or, or the people around him not really believing he was the Messiah. No, 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 no. Martha knows that Jesus will raise those who have trusted in him at the last day. She knows he's the Messiah. But the one issue that we do see is that Martha, it seems, is so focused on the promises of God for eternity far off that she was on the verge of missing what Jesus was about to do right then, right there. Again, verse 23, Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Immediately in verse 24, Martha's mind goes to the end. But it's here that we come to the next of Jesus' I am statements. How would he respond to Look at verse 25. It's in the midst of her sadness. It's, it's with the presence of death all around him that Jesus said to her, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, he will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? <laughs> And thus Martha was confronted with the reality that faith in Jesus, this is what we need to catch, faith in Jesus, trusting in Christ, y'all, it's not just about what's going to happen someday. <clears throat> faith in Christ is about what he's doing in your life today, right now. And Jesus' message to Martha some 2,000 years ago is the same as it is to us today. He is the resurrection. Pointing to the future. Pointing to what he will do. And yet. He is the life. Pointing to right now. What he is doing. For you. Now he doesn't discount the future. Again we need to be careful here. I'm not saying that we shouldn't think about the future. Certainly, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. The dead in Christ will rise first. But Jesus isn't just talking about the dead in Christ. He's talking about life, life that's present, life that's real, life that is tangible, life that is right now. And so when Jesus followed up by asking Martha if she believed this, the implication was that her life and her belief would affect not only what happened one day, it should affect her right then and there. Both her present and her future were in Christ's hands, and I'm here to tell you the same today. Your future and your present 
mark in Christ's hands. Listen to me. Listen. Y'all, Christianity isn't about dying. It's about living. And don't cheapen it by pretending like Christ exists to serve as some sort of eternal fire insurance. Don't cheapen faith by saying that Christianity is just about getting to heaven one day. Being a follower of Christ is about being a changed person right now, reflecting his love, his glory to others that are dwelling in darkness. Belonging to Christ right now is about pursuing him right now, following him and having that light that he promised. That light that is abundant. That light when he said, oh, it's so beautiful. If the Son of Man sets you free, you're free indeed. That's not about what's going to happen someday. Again, your future and your present are in Christ's hands. And you must remember that no matter what you're facing, no matter how insurmountable your difficulties may be. Because as it was with Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Thomas, even though they face death itself, the Lord works. The Lord is working. We must remember two things. Number one, this life is not all there is. Y'all have heard me say it all. I say it all the time up here. This life is not all there is. There's a reason Jesus talked about storing up for yourself treasures not here, but in eternity. And at the same time, there's a reason he talked about this freedom that we have in him, this newness. But especially, we must not forget number two, as the angel said in Luke 137, so God's word says to you right now, nothing is impossible with God. I don't know what you're facing. I know what some of you are going through, and it's hard. It is tough. I know some of y'all are facing things that are just chewing on you. You know, right now, it's, it's, it's hay season, right? Or at least it was by my house this week. He, he cut hay and then he raked it and then he, uh, he, he baled it. Life is like that sometimes. That grass was just growing, thinking everything was fine. And then it got chopped down. And then it got whirled around and tossed together. Then it got chewed up and smacked and came out the other end looking nothing like it did before. Doesn't life do that to you sometimes? Hmm? It's comical, but it's true. This life is not all there is. And nothing is impossible with God. But if you're so focused on just what is going to happen someday, you'll miss what he's doing right now. We know that nothing is impossible with God, of course, for many reasons, but certainly because of how this chapter ends. And again, I want you to read it later today. But you all probably know that pretty soon, this impossible situation, Jesus would be calling Lazarus out. We have those words that we read in our text where Jesus said, he's fallen asleep, he's, he's fallen asleep, but I'm going to wake him up. And he did. But the reason nothing is impossible with God is not only because that tomb couldn't hold Lazarus, soon enough it would be Jesus in a tomb. Yet the stone would be rolled away because death couldn't keep him. These things that you're going through when life spits you out the other end, you don't even look like you used to. 
Y'all, you serve the one who has dominion. You serve the one who has power over all things, including what you're facing. The reason nothing is impossible with God is because death itself could not hold Christ. The, the stone would be rolled away. He would rise triumphantly and with him the promise of your resurrection. But also, as he said, the promise of your life in him. The question that you face is the same that Martha faced. Do you believe this? This is not just about an intellectual acceptance. Does your life reflect that you believe this? If so, wonderful. If not, and you know the Lord, trust him. Don't lean on your own understanding. Follow him. Turn your life over to him. If it requires repentance, repent. If it requires making something right, make it right. But do not limit the Lord. He is working. And yet if you do not know him, all these promises I referred to, they can be yours, but only through Jesus Christ. This newness of life, this majesty, this glory, it can be yours. It won't be in a single thing the world is trying to sell you. It won't be in a single resolution that you come up with in your own mind. It will be through Jesus Christ alone. If you don't know him, receive the free offer of the gospel. And your life will be changed forever and into all eternity. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its calling, for how it convicts. Help us not to get so wrapped up in what's going to happen that we miss what is happening. Oh, that we would trust you every day. If there are any here that do not know you, please work in their hearts. Help them to realize that any alternative will result in only failure and loss of heart. Instead, help them to see that you are the way, the truth, and the life, that no man comes to you except through Jesus Christ alone. And I pray these things in his name. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to close by singing Bible song number 263. But if you do not know the Lord and you'd like to talk to me about knowing the Lord, I will be at the portico out there. You come and get me and we'll talk today. Don't wait. Today is still today. Do not wait. I would love to have that conversation with you. Now, let's stand as we close together by singing God Shall Guard from Every Hill, Green Bible Song Book, number 
Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.